Barks Madness Pod. We read books. <laughs> My name is Nathan. My name's David. My name's Shungwani too. Or is it Kato? <laughs> Coming at you with two names. Names for days on the podcast, gang. Um, but that being... <laughs> uh, you could call me Dave. <laughs> I gotta just steal David's so name. Assimilate, just assimilate it's David. over. Yeah. I'm done. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, this is... I've been replaced. I knew it. For anyone that for some reason decided to skip the intro to this series and then jump straight to this one, uh, welcome to Mark's Madness in collaboration with the Red Nation. We'll be reading the Red Deal uh, for this season of the show. Uh, and in doing so, we spent last week doing a really good, uh, Shomani 2 did a great background on why we're reading this, the, the key points of it. We went through the table of contents to kind of give an outline of how this book is going to go and where, how it's going to be structured. Uh, so I would highly recommend if you are here and have not listened to that episode, stop, go back, listen to that one, and then we can get going. Um... But that being said, as we are wont to do on this show, we are going to start with current events. And for that, I will kick it over to you, Shomani 2. Okay, well, so uh, this isn't that current, but I guess it's all kind of like current in a way that we should be focusing on it. So to begin, Rec Bay um, is this thing I've been trying to get help for forever. They need $10,000 for water relief. Therefore... They're 4000 right now. The big issue is it's not legal for, like, a 501c to give money to a, like, political entity in another country, so TRN can't just give them money. So that kind of sucks. But, like, if you rat funnel it through me... <laughs> found the loophole! Unless you're the government, in which case we did nothing! We did that in Minecraft. We did not we find the loophole. We found nothing in no, Minecraft no. redacted. You- you didn't hear it here, folks. No. Um, of course, you know, you could donate to the Red Nation, too. We're doing awesome work all over the place. Uh, you could buy the Red Deal. It's like $15. There's a free PDF out there, too. Wink, wink. I'm not going to encourage that, but I'm just saying. You know, I get being hard up, and this is really useful, and that's kind of why we're doing this Mark's Madness, too. But um, then uh, the other one is... Um, so C O N A I E, which is a Spanish acronym. I couldn't tell you what it means, but it's an indigenous group in Ecuador <laughs> that led um, a national strike, uh, like a general strike, um, to protest uh, high gas prices and like price gouging. I'm just saying we should learn from their example because uh, the indigenous-led coalition had major wins and declared victory. So that's pretty cool. Um, for the, here, for oh, the Mark's God. Madness pod crowd that's here, that is the uh, general strike we've been talking about in Ecuador the last couple um, current events is C-O-N-A-I-E. So, yeah, they, they won with their general strike and, and got their demands met. Uh, direct action works. Well, and also I'd like to point out that we've seen this trend in Bolivia with resisting the coup, and we'll talk about that a lot today, honestly. Uh, <laughs> you've seen that uh, like even when Chavez took over like uh, indigenous people took a, like played a huge role in the Bolivarian revolution in Venezuela um, you've seen that in Nicaragua you've seen that in Cuba I, I mean really Cuba just says like, is a really shining example of how to handle indigenous relations amongst the socialist country um, like the Sandinistas that was a huge pitfall for them and they lost support of the Mosquito to the Contras because of that, which is kind of shitty. You know, that's like a... Let's avoid that mistake from now on. You know, kind of situation. <laughs> writing it down. Check... Well, like, um, the American Indian Movement had a huge part in, like, easing those relations. And so TRN's doing a similar thing in Venezuela. Um, and then... Uh, what else is... Oh, here, state sign... Um, the right wing has sort of just like gone full tail boogie on this one, Watson. That's an Alex Jones line. <laughs> I was, uh, all right, so I don't feel I'm, bad for not knowing it. 
I was going to yeah. say, I didn't get that reference at all. <laughs> it's from the Knowledge Fight podcast. They do these these little like lines for like their Patreon levels where it's like, I'm a policy wonk. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny to me. I listen to it every time, and it's so stupid because it just it's a repeat of Alex saying stupid shit. Um, anyway, but like Alex is sort of like a what's it called? Um, uh, like a way to gauge where the right wing militia movement's at because they're all insane and listen to him like he has actual news. So that's cool. Um. What else is happening? David, what else is going on in that big wide world? Well, uh, we've already covered the general strike in Ecuador uh, being victorious. Uh, in less um, joyous news, uh, much more tragic news, uh, there was a shooting um, in, if anyone is familiar with the Chicagoland area, about 30 miles north of Chicago. Um, me and Nathan are from the St. Louis area, so we would make this kind of analogous for anyone that's in our local area to St. Charles, right? This is, it's about 30 minutes out. It's an incredibly wealthy suburban area. Um, it's a little different than St. Charles in, in that it's very diverse. Um, it's actually kind of heavily Jewish. Um, and so the voting kind of goes 50-50, liberal, conservative, leaning a little more liberal, uh, usually there. And in 2019 was their last mayoral race. And the Republican mayoral candidate uh, from that race who owns a deli in town, his son um, opened fire on the 4th of July parade. The uh, rapper killed. was a... Yeah, he was he was a, a white supremacist rapper who, in a lot of his rap music and music videos, like explicitly mentioned doing a mass shooting and doing what he had to do. And, and of course, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where one person as a mass shooter having a different ideology is not going to change that the overwhelming trend where the only thing more married to mass shootings than explicit white supremacy is explicit misogyny, which is, of course, closely tied to white supremacy. And we're just talking explicit. It doesn't mean these people aren't misogynist and white supremacists when they're not closely tied. Well, we're, and yeah. It's pretty obvious, though. Yeah. Like uh, he he dressed in women's clothing to try to get away, but that's obviously going to be used by like Alex Jones. He hasn't oh, yeah. said this it is, yet. This but is I the bet you mass shooting in a row after Uvalde. This one was actually a picture of the shooter, but it was just them dressed like I guess in their "I'm a rapper artist" thing. But it's the second time that someone who's not trans has been accused of being trans as a mass shooter, because that's a perfect script for the right. Exactly, and I mean, like, Alex Jones will never, like, retract that, so, like, it's going to become a narrative of the right wing that trans people are doing mass shootings now. It's already a narrative that anybody who's part of the queer community is, you know, a pedophile, so it's like, things are getting dangerous out there, especially when you think about the rhetoric QAnon puts around pedophiles, which it's, I agree, Jeffrey Epstein's of the world can go die, yeah, but when you're saying that every single person who's gay or trans is a pedophile, uh, I'm I'm worried about how that scapegoatism is going to go. You know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's been seen with the rise of a groomer as a dog whistle for gay or trans people, oh, rather sure. than as a descriptor of a certain type of pedophilia. That it, it well, same with pedophile. That's like yeah. they're both now dog whistles, and it's like. It's it obfuscates the actual um, conversation on like child trafficking and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which really makes you wonder who's behind you know the QAnon movement if not the pedophile ring that's blackmailing all the fucking government <laughs> officials anyway. It's, it's you an know what I mean? Like it's eating itself. Oh, exactly. I mean, the right the right wing used, you know, Epstein um, mysteriously dying in a maximum security prison under twenty four seven surveillance. He was killed. Let's let's. That's not just a right wing thing. That's reality. Let's be let's be real. Um, but they use that to try to say like it's a cover up for like the the big gay cabal lizard people shit or whatever they think of running things, and. Gassine Maxwell has not died in that same manner, and you could see. And this wow. is what would have happened if Epstein lived, like. You know, you're still, she gets arrested, but magically doesn't have any clients getting arrested. It's like the only human trafficker that's ever been guilty with no client base. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, and so what's weird, you know, getting all yoded on everybody, which for anybody who's not listening, yoded is sort of like when white people take indigenous culture too far. 
the way I'm using it here. It has a different meaning culturally for the Pueblo people, but you know, uh, it's not how we're using it here. But the Highland Park shooter, like, uh, or, yeah, that's what it, Hyde Park? Highland. No, I think you got it. Anyway. Highland Park. Highland Park, yeah, yeah. Highland Park, okay. Anyway, uh, he was he had, like, light therapy in a lot of his videos, which is, like, an MK Ultra invention. And then, like, kept making, like, mentions to FBI and his, like, vlogs and crap like that. Like, I don't know. It's super freaking, like, psyop shit. Oh, it's, it's sketchy as <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, he's not old enough to have been part of, of MK Ultra. Well, Silly, like, but... MK Ultra is like a broad range of things well, that are all interrelated. So that's, that, it's a... that's true. You get kind of the Gladio effect, right? Where Gladio only meant the, the stay-behind right-wing in Italy, but we use it for catch-all for the whole. Oh, for Nazi sure. Stat- like it... Fascist stay-behind after World War Two. Yeah, that's true. So Well, because we don't know what the action... Because the way, like, the government separates everything is stupid, mm-hmm. and it's meant to, like, make requesting freedom of information stuff harder. Yeah. And so, like, you have, like, you know, missions, field reports under those missions. Those missions go into a greater project. That project belongs to a greater, like, you know, catch-all for that. And then, like, there's some greater catch-all for that that nobody really knows anymore since Pro, like, you know, was released on you know, accident rather than purposefully released. Yeah, that was even that then was a lot FBI of stuff break in. Like people broke in and released yeah. that anonymously. So well, that's the only reason that got out. Some of the stuff and then some of the stuff got released afterward and they closed down the program to be like, Well, it doesn't yep, exist anymore. Like, Sorry. Feels very, feels very yeah. much like imperial imperialism and neocolonialism quote, where everything's just inner webs of all the companies owning the other companies and no way to tell who's actually running anything. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, I mean, that they they just want those like you know couple couple layers of of plausible deniability just to confuse you. CoIntelPro officially ended in like seventy one, I want to say, and its primary target was like major left wing organizations, but then uh, focused on uh, the Black Nationalist movement towards the end. I think you guys cover it really well in uh, your George Jackson series, if I remember right at the beginning. But. Um, uh, not to mention that uh, AIM, though, experiences a lot of the same stuff afterwards. Um, after In 72, they occupy the BIA building. They force Nixon to pay their way home, basically. <laughs> absolute, absolute just Chad I, move right there. I talked to the people who handed out the money. They're like, they, I never held that much money in my head. I didn't know how far it went. I just started handing it out. You know, how much you need? How much you need? But yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely a good point because you know, not only do we have Mumia Abu Jamal still in prison, we have Asada Shakur still in um, exile in Cuba. Uh, but was it seventy three or seventy four when Leonard seventy six Leonard 76. Peltier? Uh, there's a shootout on a Glala uh, land, which this is kind of important context, so we should go into it a bit. Sure. Um, so Leonard Peltier um, is accused of the murder of two FBI agents. Um, keep in mind, two other people went on trial with the same evidence as him, um, except they had one extra piece of evidence excluded from his trial for some reason, and that's the ballistic evidence of a murder involving a gun. For those who don't know, that's a really important piece of evidence. It kind of sounds vaguely important. Yeah, it kind of sounds like they rigged it against him because the first two people got acquitted on self-defense. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like going on trial for money laundering and they just leave out the bank accounts. It's kind of a... Yeah, they're like, actually, that didn't matter. Uh, it, there's no offshore bank accounts. <laughs> no. Never. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like Alex Jones. Like, everybody's like, oh, who's sending him all that money? It's like, I bet you he's sending it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In some convoluted way. Like, I bet you he has a... No, I bet you he has a bunch of money fucking stashed in crypto or, like, offshores that he freaking keeps using for all the shenanigans. All, they all they all have it stored everywhere. I mean, Swiss bank accounts is an open secret along CIA black sites and the Panama Well, they papers. love Nazis. Oh, they love them. They, they love, love them so much, so uh, dearly. The, the Swiss are so neutral. They're the, so neutral. 
the Panama Papers uh, was a, a major scandal for a day, and then the only person that felt any repercussions Jackie was the Chan. mysterious death of the woman who reported it. And Jackie Chan. Well, and, and then Jackie, Jackie Chan, Chan was accused. And, yeah. <laughs> was accused. <laughs> I just oh. remember that, like, the Yahoo News article was like, a bunch of famous people are accused of laundering money, including Jackie Chan. It's like, of course, they targeted gotta the Chinese Got to get the Chinese guy. Come on. Uh, Come on. Uh, all right. So I guess we should uh, kind of start any, any with last current the... events. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. There was, there was one last thing I want to say. Oh, yeah. I wanted to parlay the... So, I mean, Highland Park shooting, obviously, you know... Nazi son of the the Trump supporting you know mayoral candidate that owned the deli and and you know white supremacy is deeply. Was it a good t- deli? I, I have no idea. I I don't What's live the portion thirty of miles salami like? How I thin is that no prosciutto? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, just, how much are they ripping people off on you know you know the I just, salami? I just I just know that you know that that's a good way to know who we're talking about the right person because it was Cremo Junior. His his name was basically Bob Cremo. I don't know how the fuck. Dude, I'm no. I that's so fake. That's like an elf name. It's like oh oh, what do you do in the village? I commit crime. <laughs> it's like a fairy tale creature in a children's book. Oh my um, god! <laughs> but I was going to say that that same day uh, in Philadelphia, there was what was at the time was reported as another mass shooting during a Fourth of July parade, and supposedly it only hit two cops, but no one was injured. Oh and, yeah, Patriot Front had like a bunch of dudes trying to pour out of uh, some Penske trucks, and a bunch of dudes came up and like chain locked the one, and then like started beating the crap out of them. I was like, hell yeah, oh. dude. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, this was um, this was on the 4th of July. So the cops made up the story. It was clearly the cops made up a story about a shooting. Maybe one of them got drunk and shot a gun off in celebration or freaked out about a firework. There was no shooting. I They're bet you that's to distract from the Patriot Front dudes who are probably their friends. Probably. Probably. You know what I mean? But the news, I mean, the local news just breathlessly reports this shit. And there was a hat. With a bullet clearly unfired, tucked into the hat, and they're like, and the hat stopped the bullet, and there must have been a guardian angel looking over him. He's like, fuck off. <laughs> and then he knelt and prayed to God, and the shooter said, what can I do but flee from this man of Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other last thing I wanted to touch on uh, is Jalen Walker, obviously in Akron. Um, Jalen Walker was pulled over for a traffic stop. Went to fly, flee the scene. Was unarmed. Did not pose any threat. Wasn't. He was just running, running away. And apparently, running away is a penalty worth death. And ninety shots were fired. Sixty entered his body. Oh um, shit! And so, one of the most brutal police shootings in recent memory. Um, and so, you know, support any any of course protests out there um, fighting for for you know the idea of Black Lives Matter, fighting uh, against. Uh, this prison industrial complex and and fighting to respect the life of Jalen Walker. Absolutely. Um, and then after that, I guess we're I was to about dive to say uh, we are we are actually getting we're going to read a book this week, gang. We're going to read a book. Yes. Shamani <laughs> is giving me a look like I'll I'll you'll see if you read a book over there. I'll, I'll tell you who's reading a book. No, yeah, so I thought, uh, unless we've got anything you want to discuss, I would say we just jump into the intro and go from there. All right. All right. There is something about the weather. Last year, brush fires, bush fires in Australia scorched 46 million acres, an area larger than Hungary and Portugal combined. Flames shot nearly a thousand, mi- a half mile in the air. Oh, this is, this is boating well, guys. I'm already, I'm already doing great. Yeah, you have butchered I, this twice Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> shot nearly a half mile in the air, killing 34 humans and more than 1 billion animals. In the United States, over 8 million acres burned, killing 37 people and displacing countless others. Swarms of locusts darkened the sky in parts of East Africa and West Asia, devouring plants and fruits as they tore through the land, leaving hardly a scrap of green. A single living swarm in Kenya amassed to a size three times larger than New York City. Holy shit. Tens of millions of people across the globe faced increased food insecurity. The weather was also surging in 2019. There were fever-pitched days of revolt. 
The weather was also surging in 2019. There were fever pitch days of revolt in parts of Latin America and the Caribbean. Indigenous people came down from the mountains and forests, blockading capital cities. What felt like a strong breeze in Peru, Chile, Ecuador, Argentina, Honduras, Haiti, and Bolivia were forecasted by some to escalate into a Bolivarian hurricane, a swirling storm of backlash against the failures of neoliberalism. In the evenings, the winds were brutally brisk. The nights were filled with terror and the howls of the families of the youth slain by sniper bullets, blinded by projectiles, and beaten with police truncheons. The wind seemed to be blowing towards bloody, reactionary violence. In autumn 2019, a military coup backed by the United States deposed Bolivia's first indigenous president, Evo Morales. His vice president, Alvaro Garcia Linera, described the mood of his country as a forecast for the hemisphere. Like a thick night fog, hatred rages through the neighborhoods of Bolivia's traditional urban middle classes. Their eyes are brimming with anger. They don't shout, they spit. They don't make appeals, they impose their will. Their chants are neither hopeful nor fraternal, but they ring with discrimination and contempt for Indians, indigenous Bolivians. They mount their motorcycles and saddle up in their SUVs, band together with their buddies from the fraternities and private universities, and set off hunting for the rebellious Indians who dared snatch power from their hands. So I think this is a good place to stop. And first off, explain some terms, right? Definitions. (laughs) Definitions are important. Right. So We're here, um, if nothing but for context. Saying Indians, I hope most of us can understand this is, you know, like Native Americans, indigenous people, First Nations. There's a lot of names for us. You get down to it, they're all colonizer names for us. Usually we call ourselves like, you know, Lakota or what? We say Oshete Shakowin, which is our actual political body if we're going, you know, that kind of route on things, but... uh. The federal government calls us the Oglala Sioux, so, you know, there's, it gets confusing. It really does. Um, so Indians, despite common misconceptions, there's sort of like this mythology of the white working middle class, right? That um, Indians comes from Columbus thinking he was in India, which... Uh, not the case, no. Um. What? I was told correctly. <laughs> Are you You're telling, telling me... American schools gave us mythology about history? No. Crazy. That's the same reason why, like, they didn't tell you that he would chop off people's nose and ears and stuff for, like, a mythical amount of gold that didn't exist on the Taino Islands. But, oh, um... Yeah, I th- well, he was the one that started the transatlantic slave trade, too, and people don't ever credit that. I mean, he pushed that. Well, and I mean, like, uh, the first things he brought back to Spain was pineapples that all of them rotted but one, and then a bunch of indigenous slaves that all died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if that wasn't, like, a testament of what destiny was to befall us... Well, yeah. when, when you're working in service of Ferdinand and Isabella, who were, um, you know, commi- I believe they actually oversaw the Spanish Inquisition, didn't they? They definitely kicked. Well, Muslims and they out. actually they uh, they uh, initially condemn Columbus for how atrocious he acted. Yeah, yeah, like they were in shock of how horrible he was, which was what got them to be very slow and buying onto the transatlantic slave trade until they went ahead and did it, and then eventually it started porting out of Africa within. 50 years, 100 years, something like that. So. Easily. I mean, it was pretty quick, but uh, like 1626 or something like that, they had like mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of slave markets established. Yeah, I guess it was about 150 years. But yeah, I mean, it, it basically it was what bringing indigenous people back for enslavement turned into going down to Africa and bringing Africans to the colonies. And so um, not only that, well, so uh, it actually comes from the term indio, which means in, like, God, which uh, Columbus's diaries say that the people are so generous it is to a fault and that they are basically one with God. <laughs> so he's gonna... They would make good slaves. Oh like, <laughs> it's like, uh, holy shit, you just yeah. are demented people. You know well, you're a monster when you go there in the name of Christianity and you're like, whoa, these... 
these people are actually practicing the Christianity. They don't even know it. Let's fuck their lives up. You know, and that's that's what he did. And so a, a little bit of context, though, like the right wing uh, is you're still seeing, you know, that wind blowing towards, you know, a reactionary backlash to the successes of the left over, you know, however many decades. But with like the um, the coup got overturned in Bolivia, that should be noted. Um, so hooray for that. Right. Um, but, you know, stateside, Roe v. Wade got overturned. And they've done so many, undone so many people's rights and gains that, you know, we're risking Jim Crow laws again because you have uh, Public Law 280, which is basically in the absence of federal jurisdiction, the state gets to uphold jurisdiction. And so um, the only other entity that holds a jurisdiction level of federal government is Indian tribes. But due to the signaling in the Supreme Court, it sounds like the right wing could get away with some bullshit lawsuits, basically. Well, and they're they're always careful about how they do it, too. So, like, people are, are I think, aware of the Miranda rights being overturned, but that's not actually the cops don't have to read you your Miranda rights or that you lose that right in criminal court. But you have to have a really savvy defense attorney for that to matter. But you get free after having your life fucked up in this time in jail, and you go to sue cops, and if they don't read you your Miranda rights, you can now no longer file a civil suit for it. Well, you know how much suing the cops costs? Yeah. (laughs) A ton of fucking money. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. But also, you know, I mean, at least at the at the end of that that rainbow, there's a little pot of gold. Like there there is no longer, and so now the cops don't care because there's no financial accountability. They're going to arrest you, or they're not. So they're going to try to bully you into confession. And if if they don't, whoops, they tried. There's no you know there, there's no uh, consequences now, um, and that's that's how they're doing these lawsuits, right? Is is they're winning these Supreme Court cases. Um, like you're talking about the the federal on on state lands, um, the uh, uh, what was the case in uh, the Oak Oklahoma? Flats? Yeah, it's the Oak Flats struggle, which mm-hmm. was a huge struggle in 2015. To see mm-hmm. um, those wins get overturned is mm-hmm. pretty fucking devastating to indigenous communities. And if you're out in that area, like you need to get your ass moving. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to much to stress this, but conservatively speaking, we have till 2050, and we're, we'll learn all about this throughout this. You know, this isn't to be alarmist. This is being realistic in the need for communist revolution led by indigenous people and colonized peoples of the world. Well, um, it's, it's starting to show up where even the comfortable people are, are being aware. You know, not only people starting to bitch about the hot summers and the food shortages, but there was some article recently where in uh, Arizona or New Mexico, some people that were making a housing development out in the desert, which, I mean, screw you, you idiots, you, you did this yourself, trying to build a suburb in the desert. Yeah, uh, wow. but, <laughs> but they're starting to notice the water shortages, and it's like, yeah, the Colorado River's been depleting for decades. You put Phoenix... And Vegas in the middle of the goddamn fucking desert. How about we abolish those cities and move people out of them to save their goddamn fucking life? Like, holy shit. We're just going to let those people fry to death. Yeah, people are going to die of heat strokes left and right. um, And it's going to be the same groups of people that die from flus and COVID. It's going to be the old and the young and especially the poor, you know? Well, And so, actually, in in TRN's organizing meeting, we were mentioning that you know, this almost feels like we've gone back to the 50s as far as rights are concerned for people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hunting rights and fishing rights are going to be called into question and stuff like that. But in reality, you think about it with the destruction of the environment, it's nothing like the 50s. It's worse exactly. than the 50s. It's the 50s with no We're going back to this. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's terrifying to think about. You know, like, I think about, like, the Red Power Movement and, like, how, like, in the 50s they were just doing the fishing struggle, which was, like, indigenous people in the Northwest would go to, like, lakes and piss off white people by fishing there all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yes. Whatever. But now, like, wh- white people, like, fished it to death. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, there's, there it is. 
It's like, you know, like our, our, their elders talk about, I won't call them my elders, but I'll be specific and say their elders talk about a time where they walked across rivers on fish's backs. That's how yeah. many fish were in the river. Now, now, like I was out at the Lummi Nation and they had four fish returned this year. That's terrifying. All right. Well, moving into our next uh, next section uh, after the quote, uh, David, you want to? Oh, actually, oh, yeah. actually, one more thing I was going to yes. say is that um, you know people think that this th- kind of stuff is only happening like in South America, but you know why people going out in their SUVs is a huge, huge white supremacist tactic in indigenous border town communities like Gallup, New Mexico, or like uh, White Clay, Nebraska. It's called Indian rolling. And um, I don't think people realize that. It's basically like uh, lynching. And and what we try to say is, um, you know, this kind of stuff is an expression of an imperial border on a foreign nation that they're occupying. And these white people are acting in service as vigilantes for the U.S. state. And I mean, you could even say that when, like, uh, leftists, you know, toss out indigenous critiques, but for like basis of, oh, you're being like a nationalist or something. I don't know. It's usually something stupid and not well founded, and it ignores like primary con- contradictions. But <clears throat> the se- the settler indigenous relation, you know, is fundamentally based on like water and land rights. And so, like, in Bolivia, it culminated in what's called the Water Wars, and that's coming for America. You know what I mean? Uh, The group that controlled Bolivia's water owns the Suez Canal. You know, like, imperialist to the core. And (laughs) here in Michigan, it's $100 a month for my water bill. Nestle pays $200 a a year. Oh, that sounds... Yeah, no, that sounds right. Flint doesn't have clean water, but Nestle can make billions of dollars by draining the Great Lakes. That mm-hmm. seems fundamentally wrong and a desecration of human dignity, let alone human rights that should be enshrined in law and our constitution like it is Bolivia's. Well, that, that's another, you know, good tie into like, you know, indigenous struggle being tied to black struggle being tied to immigrant struggle being tied to labor struggle because you have Nestle and, of course, you know, the exploitation of water throughout Michigan um, and, and its effect on you personally. Um, but also, you know, it's the effect on Flint. And then similarly, the water controls of like the wonderful company, um, those little like pistachio pomegranate bastards and uh you know the abuse of that 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 goes into uh, you know the food they put out and of course their abuse of migrant farm labor which is largely immigrants you know in and of course extensively nestle and, and slave labor overseas as well uh, oh no so no no these, no, these no. they won those lawsuits <laughs> they won those lawsuits <laughs> that's right it's definitely not slavery they the court said it good it's good yeah, yeah. Everybody knows U.S. courts are really up and up. Oh right yeah, now. no, everything's going mm-hmm. smooth. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's again another you know clever ruling because it's not that slavery is legal; it's that slavery okay. should not be investigated and made public because that would be bad for their profits. That's the actual ruling that Nestle gets to go around, you know, enslaving people on. Absolutely. Well, going to the next section, David, there are big words in here that I'm going to mispronounce, and I've already mispronounced enough this episode, so why don't you read for a second? Okay. Um, Our Quechua comrade and relative, Maya uh, Achura Chapana, told us the fear had gripped her people, indigenous Bolivians, as Wapalas, the symbol and flag of Pachamama, the indigenous Andean Mother Earth, were burned in public. It's like if they burned something sacred, like a little piece of your heart, Maya's father, Juan Lazaro, told her. We refuse to be burned, Maya told us. It should be noted that when the fascists took over in Bolivia, they stood in a church and declared Pachamama will never come back into indigenous halls of power. Well, into Bolivia's halls of power. That proved wrong real fast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, We knew the stakes of our struggle. The horsemen of the apocalypse can't ride without a plague. The COVID-19 pandemic has swept across the globe, sharpening two competing visions of humanity, one based on science and caretaking, caretaking, 
and the other on pure make-believe. The most powerful nation in the world chose the latter. Across the United States, black, brown, indigenous, migrant, and poor people have borne the brunt of the virus. Even tepid social reforms like universal health care, largely a reality for most nations of the global north, was off the table. Instead, hundreds of thousands of people needlessly died, oftentimes alone, without access to the life-saving medications or treatments available to the super-rich. A large part of humanity perished, taking little pieces of our hearts with them. Others, who either survived the virus's symptoms or lost their jobs or homes, or all three, were left to fend for themselves as billionaires raked in record earnings and stripped away the small protections they did have and bitch about having nobody to serve them in service jobs and you know that that's obviously beyond the, the book's text but yeah um and and something you know enlightening about that too um with the effect of COVID-19 and, and the siding of universal health care there was a study that came out recently and it was just a little over 300,000 people would have been saved from the pandemic just if universal health care existed and that tells you also how much universal health care is is a tepid reform and not a full solution because a million people died there are countries like Bolivia and China and Vietnam, where you did not have hundreds of thousands of people dying. So if universal health care would have gotten us down to 650,000 people dying, well, that's great. That's a huge improvement. That's that's nowhere near a satisfactory answer, right? And that's ignoring the fact that it's still raging on largely because of intellectual property laws and the prevention of you know vaccines and, and stuff worldwide. I believe universal health care was $4.2 trillion under Bernie Sanders' plan. Um, during the pandemic, they pumped like a trillion dollars a day into Wall Street. So, mm-hmm. like, that was like for 20 days straight or something uh-huh. like that. That's five years of yeah. universal health care. It, yeah, it would have been less than a business week of that. The only th- problem I have with that is, like, unless indigenous people are in charge of their own health care, we can't really trust... Mm-hmm. Settler governments that are ran by neoliberal, you know, fucking assholes that will well, sell out real socialist countries all the time. That's an uh, enormous factor there. But even when you just do publicly owned, you know, universal health care, right? It, we're living in the age of austerity. That's what neoliberalism is, right? It's it's a certain type of loan-based attack and reinvigoration of neocolonialism across the global south and in the global north. It's austerity. It's stripping back these you know uh, social programs. And when you strip back these social programs, people go from being in love with them and depending on them to a few people you know depend on them very very hard but most people hate them because they suddenly suck and we see that with public transportation we see that with universal health care in other global north countries as it scales back and that's into a, in addition to the colonial you know structures and dynamics that rear their ugly heads we've talked about the expired vaccines so it's it's a non-solution. Um, it helps. It saves lives. It's like all these other things. All the things that are the right is making a big move for. It's scary. They're they're breaking down what they consider red tape that makes them kill just a little less. And every one of those that scales back, people die. It's a terrible thing. But those were not measures that really saved us. They mildly mitigated things. And as long as we thought of them as a solution, the problems were never going to get solved. Absolutely. Well, not to mention like. The way liberals want to go about solving it is through voting, and right now you're watching as liberalism fails to prevent... Like, the the Supreme Court is supposed to be that balance, that yeah. check, and um, it's failing. It's not doing its job. Um, it's... They're not elected officials. Who would have guessed this was a bad idea? <laughs> Appointing people for life I mean... never ends poorly. Just never does. Factual. Never. Yeah, never a bad idea, especially no. a bunch of conservatives. Who what could yeah. go wrong? Always good to lean on conservative yeah. oligarchs. Love that. I love um, that. In places like the Navajo Nation, rates of infection were exacerbated by centuries of resource colonialism, which has hobbled the Navajo economy, making it utterly dependent upon a dying industry that leaves nothing but poison and broken communities in its wake. Am I is is that the the reservation? I know there's a reservation in either New Mexico or Arizona. Is that the reservation? Well, okay. So Navajo Nation there's struggles a with water specifically. Well, oh no, all of them do, dude. Uh, so my reservation, um, it's something like 
a third of people don't have access to water, a third of people don't have access to electricity, and somewhere between the two and some other group people, not included, uh, don't have access to either. And so then on the Navajo res, it's a lot like that too. Um, they're called Navajo Nation because it goes between uh, Arizona and New Mexico. So when you're like, is that the res on Arizona, New Mexico? It's like, well, yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> You're talking about fake borders that don't yeah. matter. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and so then, like, uh, you know, like everybody has pretty much poisoned water on a reservation. Most of the extraction in this country happens on reservation land or stolen Indian land. Like, uh, up here, uh, there's this huge pit, uh, like, open pit mine, probably like one of the largest in the world. Uh, at least it used to be, like, the number one supplier of iron in, like, the 90s. Uh, and, I mean, that was, like, a huge boom for cars, you know what I mean? Back when, like, everything was made out of metal before yeah. plastic parts became really popular for cheapness. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, they basically, uh, it's the tallest point in Michigan now. Oh, wow. So now when you look up the tallest point in Michigan, they'll tell you the tallest natural point. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And then you look it up, and there's like, oh, it, there's a mine there's, that's taller yeah. than that. And it was a huge lobbying battle. And basically, once Trump took over, they were able to become the tallest point in Michigan. Uh, and <laughs> well, because imagine cutting off to a top of a mountain, man-made yeah, mountain, well, sure. every yeah. year because yeah. you don't want you're not legally allowed to be taller. Like yeah. that's such a waste of money, to yeah. be honest. If you're going to destroy the environment, just keep piling the dirt. Let's see how tall it gets. <laughs> uh, well. While its rivers have been diverted to water golf courses in Phoenix and its mesas mined for coal to power the southwestern U.S., about 30% of its population lives without running water and 10% live without electricity. I guess I could have just finished reading and then <laughs> answered my question. Uh, That's our primary, primary rule. rule. Shut up and let the, the text talk. <laughs> Shut up and let the text talk. Uh, we've adopted that since we've done our more word-for-word approach. So. Uh, Grandmothers who have been hauling water for 90 years live next to fracking rigs that pump millions of gallons of fresh water into the ground to crack it open for access to oil and gas, destroying the water and the land in the process. This is in a desert landscape where water is especially sacred and scarce. In Indian country, tribes that took the science of COVID-19 transmission seriously closed down their borders and set up emergency health protections, all while being treated by white elites as reservation border towns, towns that have sprung up outside reservation boundaries with notorious racist police forces and predatory relationships with indigenous people and communities. Yet the make-believe approach won over mostly white settlers and their leaders. Once it was revealed that the virus disproportionately impacted non-white communities, heavily armed men, most of whom were white, stormed state capitals demanding haircuts and the reopening of restaurants. Others trespassed onto native lands for vacations and outdoor adventures. As the virus intensified and spread, so did a toxic atmosphere of cynicism and hatred. So, as the resident Michigan expert... Obviously, we're talking a lot about Michigan militia's occupation of the Lansing Capitol there. Uh-huh. Um, and these people would also go on to try to kidnap Whitmer. Russian Whitmer. Governor Whitmer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is just unbelievable. Because it's not that bad. It, it wasn't that bad here. Yeah. It was not... I, I was wearing a mask before everybody, and they're like, you're all cr- you're crazy. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I'm not. And then they made it like... They made it mandatory, and we had uh, this thing called the Barriga Manifesto come out, where this white town, which is, like, right next to a reservation, it doesn't get more border town than this, you know what I mean, was like, yeah, we're not going to listen at all to the governor, fuck you, and it's just like, yeah, that sounds about right. Solid, solid. And then... And then, like, 30 minutes from that town, they arrested this Nazi building, a Nazi compound. It was like, oh, it's basically already an ethno-state. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Oh and then, sp- speaking of tribes that took COVID seriously, mine set up COVID checkpoints to check uh, truckers coming into our reservation. And uh, Christy Numb threatened us with um, the... National Guard, 
Um, so now as they've allowed states to s- decide tribal jurisdiction, she's going to be able to do what she wants in South Dakota, and she is more than willing to enact violence to do that. Um, I mean, it, it should be reminded since 4th of July just came out that the Declaration of Independence says... He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us. This is talking about the king of England. Uh, and has endeavored to bring... And that's talking about slavery, Volts. Let's keep that in mind. And has endeavored to bring the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, <laughs> to attack us. So it's just like, you know, uh, when, when we're talking about a right to bear arms and protect uh, themselves from the king... These are the attacks they're talking about. Resistance yeah. to colonial expansion. Um, in the Northwest, the Piala people stopped the development of a methanol refinery, uh, which, uh, you know, huge win, right? Yeah. Now their fishing's dying still. So how much did that help? You know, like, we can only do so much with our few numbers. And then at Line 3, protesters saw, you know, f- fish suffocate in the water in front of them because fracking pumped all the oxygenated uh, oxygenated water out and so all the fish just floated to the surface. I don't know if you guys know this, but fish live in the water. They shouldn't <laughs> suffocate in it. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty damning when that happens. Um, to say the least. So... Uh, the coronavirus pandemic is like climate change in the sense that the most advanced capitalist countries had ample advanced warning about both threats, in addition to having access to the best scientific experts and holding a monopoly on resources, and did nothing. In May 2019, I should probably addendum and did nothing because of profit motives. Um, in 20, May 2019, the U.S. Department of Energy announced it was officially renaming fossil fuels emitted in the atmosphere molecules of U.S. freedom. Which is like the freedom fry oh, shit. That is the freedom God. fry shit, yes. 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 Um, remember, Trump was nothing new. He was just a new sense of character. This has been the Rush Limbaugh Republicans for decades. The Rush Limbaugh... No, dude. I mean, it's definitely... Like, they're going so much further right. Things to, like, people like oh. Nick Fuentes and the America First Pack. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, Rush Limbaugh is the soil, and this is what's grown out of that. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I didn't say it was a toxic. Don't eat it. Um... Similarly, the coronavirus massive body count has been blamed not on the U.S. US humane for-profit healthcare inhumane. system, but on China. Inhumane. That changes I'm the meaning slightly. Um, that that a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> but on China, as the virus presumed as the virus's presumed country of origin. Because of its socialized healthcare system, China was able to swiftly manage the threat of the virus within a matter of months as it continued to spread elsewhere. Despite the massive tolls of death and destruction on its population, a viable strategy within mainstream North American politics has not coalesced. 2020 has been one of the hottest years on record, but as Maya said, with our hearts in our hand, we refuse to be burned. A different kind of storm has been gathering. And I'd like to say that despite popular belief... I, I don't, just in case people have this freaking conspiracy theory guy, you know, China had been reporting the virus since 2019. Yeah. Okay, they were very on top of that shit. Okay, mm-hmm. they they weren't hiding it from people. So no, get the, that out the, of your head. There, there's a two, you always love the, the, the kernel of truth. The idea that is there was one doctor who was reprimanded for calling it... Um, what he called it SARS, which it turned out to be, but he called it SARS before they knew that, and they didn't want him to spread a panic, and so they basically like said, "Hey, you're just you know." And he was a party member, and was a party member till the day he died. Fully supported the party and fought for China, and just had a minor, you know, was was minorly uh, reprimanded, like, "Hey, don't cause a panic." And he was like, "Oh, okay," and deleted the social media thing. And then they were working with the WHO, and took three weeks to figure out it was contagious. And the morning of the day that they did figure out it was highly contagious the who had tweeted out that they didn't think it was contagious based on the evidence and then they made a discovery later that day and people think that if you put something out and correct it within the day and you ask someone not to spread the panic in spite of all the surrounding evidence 
um, that's what mattered because that was what's politically convenient. So yeah, that that conspiracy theory is bullshit. And also, so I'd like to say that as I traveled down the West Coast and East Coast over my research journey these past two years, the mm-hmm. thing I've noticed the most is that as you go down south, all the rivers start to dry up. It's really depressing mm-hmm. as fuck to witness firsthand. And uh, like uh, here in Michigan, a lot of like waterfalls and shit I swam in as kids, like I could like walk under now, like no problem. Wow. Like they used to be so powerful, you could like basically use the wa- like the little waterfall that came off of it as like a water treadmill it was awesome <laughs> and now it's like uh, you can't at all and it, you used to be able to jump there too now you'll get seriously fucking hurt for sure oh yeah I mean Missouri we're we're we have rivers everywhere so there's anywhere that's remotely shallow and remotely low um, current people tend to like pull up with their families and swim and so there'll be basically someone will find a big tree and there'll be a public rope swing and then like 10 years later you know the water always washes away some of the soil and the tree eventually collapse into the river and then they'll take the rope down and find another big tree and like none of the rope swings have deep enough water for you to jump into the water anymore it's it's pretty terrifying yep that sucks so I mean it's deep enough like you can go in feet first and hurt your foot (laughs) but it's not like submerged deep (laughs) Right, I wouldn't go swinging yeah. off the giant 20-foot tree into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When the military forced um, Evo Morales from office in November 2019, he gave a speech. We will come back, he said, quoting the 18th century indigenous resistance leader Tupac Katari, and we will be millions. Not only had the coup government, with the support of the United States, overthrown Morales' administration, they also tried to crush the project for decolonization that it represented. When Morales returned, the social movements that had given rise to his administration blockaded the roads surrounding the major cities, effectively shutting down the economy. Millions forced the coup government to concede, and the Movimiento al Socialismo Instrumento Politico por la Sobrano de los Pueblos Mas, Movement Toward Socialism, was overwhelmingly re-elected into power during the October 2020 general election. On November 9th, Evo returned with him and the election of Luis Arce as president and David... Anyone want to give me a hand here? Choco Thank you. As vice president... The, oh, well, that's probably... The indigenous it. revolution continues. This book takes as its primary inspiration the 2010 People's Agreement drafted in Cochabamba... Cochabamba. Yep. Cochabamba. Oh, my goodness. Look, okay? This is a gnome thing that I do. I am bad okay. at reading. White. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> admittedly, embarrassingly white. That That is like, my listen. mistake for getting too off track because, honestly, I'm bad at pronouncing things too, but I can handle Bolivia. Good. Well, yes. So I should have taken now, that one on. My, a my large mistake. part of the Proce de Cambio process of change that Moss initiated. The agreement spells out principles of eco-feminism, eco-socialism, anti-imperialism, infused with traditional indigenous ecological knowledge. This is the spirit of this book. The Red Deal, a manifesto and movement born of indigenous resistance and decolonial struggle. The weather is changing, and so are the stakes. Everyone feels the temperature rising. And so, like, while a lot of people worry about the Paris Accords, our comrades in the South have already done the work and the research, and they deliver it honestly, unlike, you know, the UN who says 2075, you know, to be non-alarmist is their goal. Um, which really, I think it just makes people have some false sense of hope. Um, oh, yeah, that, that's what they're always going for. It's also like the, the Exxon is funding research to make greener energy bullshit. They just they sit down in your home. We've got it taken care of. The billionaires got you covered is what they're trying to get across through every institution. Right. And so like right now, indigenous people are dying on our own land, you know, but the settler left... Uh, have the audacity to say fascism is only here now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the the repression that colonized peoples face here, the ICE camps that we've had here for a while, you know, now Roe v. Wade is overturning, and, and that that's just, you know, the first open display of fascism that, you know, actually affects, you know, the settler class as well. 
And in a long tradition, we understand um, that the ethos of fascism was settler colonialism, and as it inspired, you know, Mussolini and Hitler into the idea of the West being, you know, for Italy, Africa, and for Germany, Russia. For America, it was Indian country. And that is where we are going to leave it for this week. We will pick up on the next subheading uh, on, pa- cha- on page five, not chapter five. We would have time traveled today. Uh, on page five. <laughs> guys, guys, we made it to page five out of a 40-page intro. Our, our pace was was not great, but we'll, we'll get there. Get there we'll <laughs> get there. The, 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 we... We usually do pick up as the books yeah, go on, but we have it. not been absent of seven pages. Also, days, there's so. three of us now. Okay, there's going to be th- there's going to be talking. <laughs> there's going to be stuff going on. Uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, uh, Shimani, too, do you want to go ahead and do any plugs or anything you would like to to plug in the outro here? Uh, for the love of God, please support my Patreon or my Cash App, Zakatos Tin Can, for both of them. Um, I. Uh, on the Patreon, I'm doing, like, gardening content and, like, going to be writing funny stories just about the crazy adventures I've had researching my six-part documentary for Jacobin. You'll get access to the Jacobin documentary um, early and stuff like that, as well as, like, I'm making a lot of the music for the podcast itself, too. So, well, with, a, you know, an awesome comrade. But, uh... Super excited about that stuff. A lot of things coming down the pipeline, and uh, you also, you know, be supporting, you know, uh, like my family out on the res. Like all the money I make goes towards them too. And uh, I just had a kid, so I really need the money. But my uh, primary form of production is my computer, and I uh, the processor fried, so I really need like four hundred bucks. And then probably like a new motherboard too, but I'm praying to God it's only the fucking processor. Please, computer gods, please. Uh, Red Nation has a Patreon. You should go follow that. We teach you a lot. Absolutely. Like I've taught you now. Exactly. Yes. More <laughs> of this. More of the good stuff. But without us, the white people ruining it. Um. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the correct reaction. It's the correct reaction. That being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways you can reach out to us if you would like to do so. First of which is through email, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Next of which is through Twitter on the Hell site, where we all hate it. We just hate it there. Um, but it's at Mark's Madness Pod there. The DMs are open. And in our Twitter bio is a link to our Discord server, which is where Nathan spends most of his time hanging out throughout the day. Uh, and we have we have good comrades running book club. Um, they are, I believe, at this point they will have finished up uh, the selected works of Ho Chi Minh by uh, edited by Vijay Prashad, um, and they'll be hopefully voting on something new, which you can take part in. Um, and beyond that, we play video games and watch bad TV sometimes. It's it's a good place. You should come hang out. Um, more importantly, donate to Zacato's uh, Patreon. It's it's in the link. It's down there. It's to go go in your app, go down there and do that. That's the thing. We don't have a Patreon. Go give it to them. David, it's time for a disclaimer. Yeah, so um, obviously a long time ago, Nathan came up to me and was like, hey, I want to read Capital and Theory and History are things you want to read together. And so he sat down and read it with me and we decided to record it just in case, just because we knew how to make a podcast. We you know, hadn't really done one ourselves, but but we knew it was up. And then we thought, okay, you know, we got enough content. Let's put it out there. Let's get this reading group with a little more than two. And ever since then, what our vision was, was hopefully you're out there at a party and an organization and a cadre and whatever on the ground organizing or digital organizing. Or, or whatever organizing you're doing, hopefully on the ground, but but digital as well can be good. Um, you know, hopefully you have a reading group, a political education group, um, and you're reading these works along with us, and we can be another voice in the crowd, another source of context, uh, another resource. That way you can review over it and get the most out of it and get all of the purposes of those reading groups. And let's say that's not happening and you're reading it on your own because your org is working on something shorter or more relevant to something they're organizing around at the time. Um, hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you all of those benefits of a reading group, reviewing over it, getting the context, getting different from perspectives, things like that. 
And let's say that's not happening, and it's either like this, where we're kind of more of an enhanced ebook, or it's a work where we summarize more. Whatever we can do to get these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. Um, you know, anytime you take these works and you put them into revolutionary action, that's a phenomenon called praxis. And kind of definitionally, that needs theory to exist. And then theory is completely useless without that praxis. They go hand in hand, they are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And I'm Shagmani, too. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.